Hello and welcome to another jam-packed episode of We Love Books. Today we're finding out the spooky secrets of Kilkenny with author Helena Duggan, who wrote the perfect trilogy. But first, I chatted to the kids of Skull Katrina on Baggot Street to find out what books they're reading right now. My name is Alex and I'm reading Diary of a Wimpy Kid. I like the jokes in it and... Well, I really only started it, so I don't know what else is in it. I'm reading Percy Jackson, The Last Olympian, which is the last Percy Jackson book. I have read all the books except uh, The Lightning Thief, but I watched a movie about it, so I think I know the plot. But if you like Greek mythology, uh, you would really want to read these books, and they're and they're set in like present time in uh, New York, so you don't have so you don't have to study a bit of history to know it. I am reading Herbal Histories. Gorgeous Georgians. Well, it's a bit funny because it's like telling you histories, but they turn all the facts and find funny things about it. You can learn a lot in it, and um, it can also make loads of people laugh. I learned that um, uh, the Celts uh, fought uh, with only pants. There was usually a face at the front of a Viking boat and like made up characters or gods or monsters. I'd say it's for eight and up. Now on We Love Books, it's time for We Love Reviews. 11-year-old Evine has been reading the book Wonder by R.J. Palacio. You may have heard it, you may have read it, or you may have even seen the movie. I may or may not have wept openly all during it, or, I don't know, maybe someone in the cinema was chopping onions. Either way, just take it that I really, really liked it. R.J. Palacio said she was inspired to write the story after her young son noticed a girl with facial differences, and she said she thought it would make an excellent children's book. And... It did. Let's hear what Evine thought. I read Wonder by Orj Palacio. I really enjoyed this book. It's about a boy named August that has a, a facial disortment and it is his first time ever going to school. He's just started middle school and um, he has a friend that betrays him and he's just finding it really tough. It is reality for some people and for the people that were um, normal um, in the book. They needed to change in order to accept the wonder um, as who he was and not look at his features, but just look at him as a person. I liked that he was, he had a good sense of humor about himself. He wouldn't really take words that were meant as a joke too harshly. And he never really got properly angry at his friends he left that to his parents I would recommend this book for age group 9 and up just because it can be a tiny bit confusing because if your parent was reading this out to you he so there's chapters and it's as as like a sample Via would now be talking and she would be the person narrating the story so if you weren't reading it yourself, it would be a bit confusing. So I just think um, the people who were reading it would have to read it themselves to fully understand it. 
Now on We Love Books, it's time for our interview with a featured author. Today, we meet Helena Duggan, who wrote The Perfect Trilogy. That's A Place Called Perfect, The Trouble with Perfect, and The Battle for Perfect. She chatted all about rejection, about self-publishing, which is publishing your own book without having to go to a big publishing house, and how she has a load of rubbish sitting in her press. Intriguing. I asked her if she had a first memory of reading. I have memories of books that I loved. The first ones I really remember getting hooked into were Terry Pratchett's books. They were called Truckers, Diggers and Wings. They were kids' books. I did actually go and buy them lately. Um, I have them at home now because I wasn't sure they were still being printed, but I remember reading those and absolutely loving them. And then I remember the first book I was really moved by probably was uh, Marita Condon McKenna's book, um, Under the Hawthorne Tree. Brilliant. Yeah, so I do remember, but I was probably 12 or 13 when I read that. I know that I used to, because I still do it, I always had to take a book to bed and then that's how I'd sleep. So I'd read a few pages and then I'd just wake up with a book on my face or beside me or wherever. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. So you've actually not written not one, but three books. Yeah. I what? have written three. Yeah. Um, what is it like reading uh, writing three books in three years? Was that a bit mad? So my journey to publishing is kind of long. So I self-published the first one. So I, I wrote the first one in 2012 or no, I self-published in 2012. So it was written before that. Um, and then because I'm a graphic designer as well, uh, I'd been following, I had written another book before uh, a place called Perfect called A Load of Rubbish which is still sitting <laughs> in my press <laughs> I hope it's not A Load of Rubbish but anyway that's what it's titled um, and I'd written that and I'd sent that out to agents and publishers and all of that stuff and got loads of rejections they were nice rejections which was encouraging but they were rejections so I was following the self-publishing kind of revolution on um, it was a website where it was called like it was the HarperCollins website and it was like Beat the Slush Pile they called it so I uploaded a load of rubbish onto that and it actually got voted onto the editor's desk and then what happened was the editors this is the way they formed the website so the editors of HarperCollins would read it and then they decide whether they take it on or not or they give you a big review anyway so while in the stages of going through all that I was meeting online virtually these American writers that were all talking about self-publishing and how it was the new thing and that people were getting self-published getting sales figures and then getting published so I then started writing a place called Perfect and decided, well, I'm just going to self-publish it. I think I might have sent it off to one or two agents before I did that, but got rejected, nice rejections again. One of them said, send me on more stuff when you have it. Um, So that was back in 2012. And then eventually got a publisher after self-publishing, getting my sales figures, all of that, got a publisher for Perfect. So the first one was fairly well worked up at that point, which was 2016. 15, I think I signed with Osborne and then we did a good bit more work on it before it was published in 2017 and then the other two were written in a year each <laughs> but the first one was written in about 10 years Wow, that's an amazing story about keeping going against um, Yeah, yeah, yeah well, well, I, well, I suppose that's built into my family my parents will, you know, just keep going I, I believe it, like if you just keep going you'll eventually get there You know, I think yeah. a lot of people just give up 
I believe if you just keep going, you'll pass out all the people that give up and you'll get there wherever it is you want to go. That's true. I'm so glad that you did. Did you, did you ever find that upsetting at the time or were you always very matter of fact about keeping on, keeping on? Oh, no, it was upsetting. It still is. I mean, I'm not rich now or anything. <laughs> I'm keep, keep going. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, until the yeah, movie deals. Until in. the movie deals, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Touch all the wood. Um, but yeah, no, it was upsetting loads of different times. I remember probably the first big upset and that's when I decided I, I had this thing in my head where I'm just going to let go of ever wanting and I'd come out of it. And it was after when I got voted onto the editor's desk with a load of rubbish. Um, and like there was such a hype around that because it was an online community thing but like all the people online and there was a couple of thousand of them were reading it saying oh this book's amazing blah blah blah, blah all this stuff in, and voted it on to the editor's desk and then the editors came back with a really nice review but they said ultimately too quirky for us at HarperCollins too quirky? <laughs> yeah too can quirky kids book be too quirky? <laughs> well, I thought that was the point yeah, of kids that's, <laughs> they said it was too kind of out there but it's right. funny though I was told the same thing about Perfect um, by Osborne and my editor took it on she said it was a bit left of field it didn't fit a genre but she took it on as a risk so it was it was a little bit too quirky too but the too quirky worked <laughs> so maybe a load yeah. of rubbish work but the best but, people are the quirkiest people well, yeah, most interesting. I <laughs> well I find that yeah, yeah I find that but yeah the book was that's what they had said and at that point then I was really kind of gutted because a load of energy went into that and I kind of thought and like when I think about how long ago that was now, but I kind of thought, oh my God, this could be, this could be it. Like my, my writing could be seen and all of that. Um, and then they sent that through. And I remember after that going, okay, I'm just going to have to, and there's been loads of times along the way where I've said, okay, I just put my head down and keep going. <laughs> just keep going. Just keep going. It's constant in my head, actually. It's <laughs> brave. Well, I don't really know, brave. brave or stupid, one or the other. It worked. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, so, well, it's working. It is working. <laughs> I have to say it is working. Yeah. yeah. How would you describe the perfect series for listeners? Um, well, it's funny. A lot of people would say they're a little bit creepy. I wouldn't have thought, because I can't read scary things. I can't watch scary films or anything like that. But they're a little bit creepy. They're a little bit dark. The, the third one's probably darker than the other two. They're probably crime fiction for kids in a way as well because I love crime. I love trying to figure things out. I love the plotting side of it. I love that you sow something in book one that doesn't become apparent until book three. Uh, you know, I loved... I, J.K. Rowling did that and that's why I absolutely loved her books because it just seemed like from the very start they were seeded. Yeah, it's probably crime fiction for kids. Spooky, crime, creepy fiction. <laughs> That sounds about right to me. And I saw a quote on the internet that you were uh, compared to Roald Dahl, Neil Gaiman and Tim Burton. Well, do you know what? That's, that's amazing. Yeah, they, they keep saying that. And it's so funny because, um, well, now I don't think I'm anything in any of their leagues, but I love their st- all, all three of those. Like Tim Burton, I have a book of, uh, it's, the most amazing book I bought it online years ago of all his sketchbooks they oh, put together wow. a book of illustrations from his sketchbooks and I have it in my press at home and I take it out every so often look at it. I just absolutely love love his stuff Neil Gaiman the graveyard book I love it like any the good omens one of my favourites and Roald Dahl like my god <laughs> I don't think I'm like any of them, but well, everybody else. I, I will take. I will take, take it. it. Take it. It's I'll good. It's it. accurate. I personally love all that stuff. That's not scary but creepy. I'm a little creep. Yeah. 
but I don't like being scared, so it's the perfect mix for me. So, being a bit of a creep, I got chatting to Helena all about ghosts because I love a ghost story and I love the story of Dame Alice Kittler. She was the first recorded person condemned for witchcraft in Ireland. Kittler's Inn, which was run by Dame Alice right back in medieval times, is actually still open today in Kilkenny. And Helena told me all about how the various buildings in Kilkenny inspired her book series. She opened the books and showed me a map inside the front page where her native Kilkenny has been transformed to fit in with the story. You can check it out yourself if you get your hands on a book. Well, <laughs> Kittler's is, I'll show you, Kittler's is in this book. Brilliant. It's the, um, the orphanage oh, in wow. Perfect, in No Man's Land. So Kilkenny is the inspiration. So this building, where is it? This building here is Kittler's. Wow, in my imagination, yeah. yeah. And it's used as the orphanage in, in Perfect, in No Man's Land. So that's No Man's Land. That's, so this map is actually a section of Kilkenny. So that's High Street. Uh, that's the town hall. There's a little laneway behind the town hall that goes down. Uh, it's called Rag Lane here. It's Mary's Lane in Kilkenny. <laughs> it goes down and there is a little, uh, there's a high wall there. There's an old church, St. Mary's Church in there, but in mine it's not. And you go into No Man's Land and that's um, Forgotten Road, Kieran Street in Kilkenny. And Dunn Stores is around there somewhere. And that's the orphanage is Kittler's in. Wow, that's so cool. The kids can go and see that right yeah. inside the cover of the book. <laughs> yeah, so all the places Kilkenny. are... Yeah, so actually when I was doing the launch last week, uh, I did a bit of reading and it was the first time where they were really invested. Like the kids knew the stories inside out, probably more than I did. And they were asking me in-depth questions. And when then when I started to explain the maps, and like most of them were from Kilkenny, it's a few from other places, but um, it was really interesting to them to to see where, where that came from. So that was kind of nice. There's lots of stories around Kilkenny and there's lots of ghost stories around Kilkenny. And there's, there's lots of laneways and underground tunnels in my stories. But it's said that there are lots of tunnels under Kilkenny. And I imagine there is because it's a, it's a medieval city. Um, but a friend of mine, her father used to play in a graveyard. So that's where some of the ideas came from as well. He used to play in a graveyard um, just on the outskirts of Kilkenny when he was a kid. And he, and it says it's true, found a tunnel through him and his friends, a tunnel through one of the graves wow. um, that led into the castle. Oh my god! He, he says it's closed <laughs> down now. Um, obviously, I took his story as gospel. <laughs> You I have yeah. It's so interesting. <laughs> I know, isn't it? Um, and I, the the graveyard's still there. It's a really ancient graveyard. I've never gone in to actually see if I could. I must bring him there. Maybe I'll do it at Halloween. Get a few kids together. Spooky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's where the underground tunnels come from. And then Kilkenny is like the, it's like as you walk the streets, a lot of it's been destroyed, knocked down, but there's still a lot preserved. And you just feel kind of you can you get a sense of of the past, I think, on the streets. So yeah, a lot of that informed informed the books. But the Archer's family that came from um, like I love the history of Kilkenny, and there was five strong, really strong families in Kilkenny. It was a merchant town. It was a town that was like these merchant families came together and decided they want to make it a really strong, strong town in Ireland. And eventually they got it as the capital for a hundred years or so, I think. Hmm. But they grouped together and one of them was the Archers. And some of the families are still there. It was the Shees, the Langtons, the Archers, the Rotes. And I can't remember the last one. I never can. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's where I took that name from. And different. there's lots of different elements from the town and from the 
the stories of the town. And another thing that I read was that you found the pair of glasses in the antique shop and that that influenced the whole thing. Yeah, yeah that, that was happen? where that's where the whole idea started. So I was backpacking. Um, I lived over in Australia, New Zealand for a couple of years and I was backpacking around um, and I was in Brisbane and I went into an antique shop. I wear glasses, obviously, as you can see. Lovely, very colourful glasses. <laughs> They're very cool. Uh, so, yeah, I was backpacking around and I went into an antique shop. But I found these glasses and they're real old. They're, they're tiny little round ones. They look like they're made of wood. I think they kind of are. And wow. the, the arms bend in around the ears. Yeah. And uh, they're just gorgeous little glasses. But my... my idea was to change the lenses out so I could see through them I was going to wear them and then sure I was backpacking and obviously had no money and couldn't go to an opticians or whatever <laughs> so I just kept them in my bag and uh, carried them and as I carried them the story just kind of developing in my head and then when I'd finished a load of rubbish yeah I started to write it but I, I was thinking about the person who owned the glasses that's how it started really I was thinking about if I got the glass in the antique shop, I thought they were probably dead. And I was thinking about possibly if, so they had gone out of this world, but I thought, what if everything they thought and everything that they ever dreamt or saw or did, what if all of that was locked inside their lenses? And then if I took out the lenses, I'd be getting rid of the last bit of them in this world. So that's how I started to think about the story. So the glasses are, um, when you open them up, they're exactly as described in the book that yeah. Violet finds in the in, in the room and then she sees boy. But the you open them up and there's a little velvet interior in the box, a lovely little box. But there's a um, a little note, not a note, a sticker, a label on the inside. And it says uh, prescription optical makers, 135 Wickham Terrace, Brisbane. So I took the address 135 Wickham Terrace and it's it's actually an important address in the book now. It's where it's where William lives. That's brilliant. Yeah. But I looked it up there on Google um Google Maps or Google Street View or whatever and it's actually the major eye hospital now that address in Brisbane. That's very cool. I know, it's <laughs> kind of weird. <laughs> wow. Now on We Love Books, it's time to check in with our book doctor, Anne. Let's see who's in the clinic today. My name is Yantad and I'm eight years old. Eight years old, don't forget Yantat, eight years old, got it, won't forget it. Right, Yantat, tell us what you like to read. I like My Little Pony books and Macy Hitchens books because sometimes in my dreams I just imagine I'm in a book and last time when I was in a dream I actually imagined I was a pony and I was a detective pony <laughs> on the crime case, like the missing golden glasses. And the missing clattering teeth. And the third one is the missing statue of gold. I'm usually into nearly every book in the library. I always wanted to read this book, The Wonderful World of Irish Woman History. Because I'm in Ireland, I'm interested in reading about nearly every topic. Oh yeah, Lord Tirak. Queen Crystalless, Cozy, and I can't remember the bad guy from Macy Hitchens' book, that, that stole the art paintings. Those are some of the villains I like. My hobbies. Well, I do Irish dancing at home. Oh yes, I do tennis and violin and flute and basketball. My perfect book would be 
me riding you on the back and so you can be my pony so I can fight crime. <laughs> Let's see what reading prescription book Dr. Anne has for Yantat. There's quite a variety to work with. Let's start with Irish women in history. For an excellent and sometimes surprising selection of women who have made their mark in Ireland and beyond, read Blazing a Trail, Irish Women Who Changed the World by Sarah Webb. For books that focus on one individual story, there's a new series of mini-biographies by John and Fatty Burke, beginning with Grania Whale, The Pirate Queen. And if you'd prefer a story, you could read two great books about Molly, who lives in Dublin in 1912, and she follows her big sister Phyllis by becoming a suffragette and fighting for women's rights. The Making of Molly and Molly on the March are both written by Anna Carey. You had a great idea for a detective pony working on a crime case. Well, I haven't found any detective ponies. But have you seen the series The Pony Detectives by Belinda Rapley? It's about four girls who, as well as being pony mad, are great at solving mysteries. Each of the six books features a different horse and a new mystery to solve, beginning with Moonlight, the champion show jumping pony who goes missing just before an important competition. Another series featuring mysteries to solve, A Girl Called Charlie and her racehorse, Noble Warrior, is written by Claire Balding and begins with The Racehorse Who Wouldn't Gallop. A book that a fan of Maisie Hitchens will enjoy is Tally and Squill in a Sticky Situation by Abby Longstaff. Ten-year-old Tally, a servant at Mullet Manor, spends her days scrubbing, polishing and ironing. Tally and her squirrel friend Squill find a magical hidden library where the books come to life. When Mullet Manor is burgled, can Tally and Squill use the knowledge from the books to catch the criminals? This book will be released in September and quickly followed by three more titles, so you won't have long to wait for the next adventure. My penultimate suggestion for you is a bit different, but I think you'll like the sense of excitement and exhilaration of Knights and Bikes by Gabrielle Kent. Owen Colford described it as a thrill a minute, laugh a second, and it is. Best friends Demelza and Nessa explore the island of Penfersey on their trusty bikes, accompanied by a pet goose and featuring a selection of villainous ghosts. And finally, there are not many fiction books written about Irish dancing, but have a look at Kate by Siobhan Parkinson. Set in Dublin in the 1930s, Kate discovers the joy of Irish dancing. But how will her penniless family find the money to kit her out properly for the dancing competitions? Have a great time reading. Now on We Love Books, we love stories written by you. Yes, you. I see you over there. Here's a story by 10-year-old Alice called The Old Man Upstairs. It's about a young girl, an old man, and the power of kindness. Hello, my name is Alice and I'm 10 years old. The Old Man Upstairs. There was once a happy apartment block at Quagmire Road where six people lived. It was four stories high and full of happy people. Well, almost full of happy people. On the fourth floor lived an old man. He never did anything and never came out of his room. The people living in the apartment at Quagmire Road hadn't even seen him in two years when the Odoires moved in. The Odoires were a young couple, Martha and James, with their daughter Emily. Emily and her dad, James, always brought cupcakes and lemonade to the meetings the people living on Quagmire Block, or QA as they like to call it, had. These meetings consisted of five people living on the first, second and third floor. 
but never the fourth floor. One particular cloudy day, Emily asked her parents if she could borrow some cupcakes. Mum, Dad, she said, I must use them straight away. Emily, who was six years old and always very kind, was surely going to give them to the birds or the flowers as she normally did. Yes, she enjoyed feeding the flowers sometimes, but she did not want to feed the birds nor the flowers. Emily silently tiptoed up the stairs and finally she reached the fourth floor. She gagged several times walking across to the only door on the landing. The dusty floor looked as if it hadn't been touched in years. She looked at the egg-stained windows. The kids from next door have probably been here, she thought. She looked at the door. She slowly but surely approached it. Then she knocked. What do you want? grumbled a voice from inside. Um, said Emily. She opened the door up a bit more. I was just wondering if you would let me come inside, said Emily. Why? grumbled a voice from inside. Emily did not have a chance to answer, since the man spoke very quickly. Oh, fine, he said. Emily stumbled into the room. I'm very sorry to intrude, but I need to give you something. She scanned the room with her blue eyes. I definitely need to help you clean up. In about 30 minutes, Emily had the room spotless. She dusted the curtains, cleaned the windows, uncluttered the table, and straightened all the paintings. She paused at one picture. Who is this? she asked the man. Oh, the man said. Oh, that's my wife. She's... She's gone now. Oh, said Emily. I'm very sorry. I didn't know. Of course, I feel bad for you. It's okay, said the old man. What was that you wanted to give me? Oh, yes, said Emily. Of course, I needed to give you something. Emily retrieved the box of cupcakes from inside her bag. Here you go, she blurted out quickly. She didn't let the old man speak as she ran out the door in a whirlwind. The old man's eyes twinkled as he looked at the cupcakes. What a lovely child, he thought to himself. He never really had a friend since his wife died. This story shows that no act of kindness, no matter how small, is ever wasted. Well, that's it from today's episode of We Love Books. As always, a huge thanks to all the kids who read, wrote and reviewed and to all the adults who made it possible. Big thanks to our wonderful book doctor, Anne, and to Children's Books Ireland, who run the amazing book clinics to help kids find the right book for them. Children's Books Ireland is a fantastic organisation and they know pretty much everything there is to know about kids' books. You should check them out for ideas and inspiration online at childrensbooksireland.ie. If you want to get in touch with me on the show, our email is welovebooks at rte.ie. I'm Neve McManus. This is We Love Books. Stay safe, stay well, and until next time, happy reading.